Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am your host, Sarah Powers, and I'm here today without my co-host, Megan Francis, because it's the first Friday of the month, and that means it's time for an interview episode. And yes, I have another cold and some laryngitis, but don't worry, in just a couple of minutes, you'll be transported back in time to when I did this interview when I had my normal voice. So we bring you our Voices series once a month as a way to expand our podcast topics and introduce you to some really smart people in the parenting space who speak on topics that don't come up as often in our regular Tuesday shows or that might require a more expert perspective. And today, my guest is Debbie Reber. She's the founder of Tilt Parenting, which is a podcast and online community for parents of what she calls differently wired kids. So you'll hear us discuss that term specifically at the top of the interview, but basically it means kids with various neurological differences or learning differences, everything from anxiety to ADHD to autism spectrum disorder and sensory processing issues, and also things like giftedness and dyslexia. And we also talk about why Debbie chose to group parents and families of all of these neurodiverse kids into one community for the purpose of her book and her podcast and supporting these families. Debbie's also a mom to 15-year-old Asher, who in many ways inspired her to create the Tilt Parenting community. If you've heard the term 2E or twice exceptional, it refers to kids like Asher who show both giftedness or exceptional capabilities in one area, but who have some neurological differences going on like ADHD or sensory processing disorder that can really create some challenges on the other hand. So I read Debbie's book Differently Wired before I got the chance to speak to her, and it really made me think about a lot of things, but especially our schools and our classrooms where kids who learn differently can really struggle and finding the right school or the right teacher fit can totally make or break your entire year as a parent and as a family. Debbie has a ton of resources for parents who are struggling within their existing school system, and I know that's something that a lot of our listeners can relate to. So I'm excited for you all to get to hear this conversation, whether your kids are moving through the world in a typical way or like the one in five kids out there who are differently wired, maybe in a not so typical way. Okay, before we get into my conversation with Debbie Reber, Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. 
Listeners head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, everyone, let's get into my conversation with Debbie Reber, author of Differently Wired and founder of Tilt Parenting. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. So um, please just introduce yourself to our listeners and our community. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your family and where you live and um, how you came to the work that you do right now. Sure. So, well, as you said in the intro, my name is Debbie Reber. I am a mom of a, now I can't believe I have a teenager. I have a 15-year-old son, my only child. And I currently live in New York. I'm in Brooklyn, although we're still in the process of repatriating for the past almost six years. We had been living in the Netherlands and Amsterdam. So I'm still kind of, my soul is still a little sad. Yeah. <laughs> we're how back. long were you? How long were you in Amsterdam? It was about five and a half years and it was just a really magical time. Both personally, I felt like a kid, you Mm -hmm. know, for that time, but also really healed our family a lot. And um, it was part of actually what brought me to this work. Uh, I'm an, uh, an author. I used to work in kids television and I used to write books for teenage girls And then I gave birth to a son and I was like, okay, I (laughs) I was pretty sure I was having a daughter, but I'll, you know, I'll go with this. And, but over time, as we started to recognize that he was moving through the world in what would be considered an atypical way, I kind of pivoted my writing and my professional work to, to focus more on supporting parents like me who are raising kids who are in some way neurologically different. And that's what kind of led me to creating Tilt Parenting and doing the work that I'm currently doing, which involves podcasting and writing and and just connecting with other parents like me. Yeah, it's so great and so needed. Um, So I want to, before we really dive into this, I want to talk a little bit about the language we're going to be using. I know for our community, I want to always be as inclusive as possible. I don't want to say the wrong thing or use the wrong term. And I love that you use in your book the term differently wired. That's that's your term or that's, you know, in the title of your book. Can you talk a little bit about how you arrived at the phrase differently wired? And and also, if you have thoughts on kind of labels in general, I notice you also use uh, words like neurodiverse and neurotypical. Um, I would just love to set the foundation here with the language we're going to be using when we talk today. Well, there are so many labels, you know, which I discovered when we were first starting to work with diagnosticians and having assessments with Asher, which started as when he was as young as five. And what I noticed is that, first of all, there are so many labels that seem negative in the language they use. Like Mm -hmm. it's very medicalized jargon and um, disorder and, um, you know, just things that didn't really feel really great. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I also felt that there's so much crossover and uncertainty about who these kids are. And we, um, in going through this, I, I felt like 
a lot of the language just felt heavy and not optimistic. It Mm -hmm. kind of sent a message to parents like me that there's something wrong. There's a problem we need to fix. And so I don't even remember what the spark was that made me start thinking of differently wired. But when I started developing Tilt, I spent a lot of time researching and looking at different ways that language was being used both, you know, within the autistic community, which they're on the forefront of the neurodiversity movement, and just kind of diving into seeing language that could be more positive. And Mm -hmm. so Differently Wired was kind of what I I landed on. And my son approved. He was very <laughs> involved in the, the whole process of, of my developing this work and always aware of his differences and did not feel like they were a bad thing at all. And so as soon as he knew um, I approved, he, he was, I was on board. But when I say differently wired, what I'm really talking about is whether you have a diagnosis or not, any way that someone is moving through the world that would be considered atypical, which could be a learning disability, a learning difference like dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia. It could be ADHD and other attention issues. It might be a child who is gifted um, because being gifted is a different need all on its own. Mm -hmm. It might be someone who is on the autism spectrum might be someone with anxiety or sensory processing issues. And so I wanted this term to encompass all of those differences and kind of help us as a community see that there's actually a lot of us. And I I would venture to say there's probably more kids today that are differently wired Mm -hmm. (laughs) than are what we, we used to consider to be quote unquote normal. Well, yeah. And what I love about in your book is I don't it didn't get the sense that you were trying to shed the need for specific diagnoses. And those labels may be useful in getting support or finding the right providers. Um, And you, in fact, talk about Asher's kind of owning of his autism spectrum label or Asperger's and you kind of go into that. So it didn't sound like you were trying to get rid of those diagnoses altogether, but more um, create a community with a positive spin that kind of includes the umbrella and making hand motions right now, but includes, includes that. So let's, let's go into that a little bit more. Um, that is surprising maybe on the outside to group kids, uh, with, you know, learning differences with kids with, um, you know, anxiety disorders and, and even kids without a specific diagnosis. So why go that route to kind of, as you say, celebrate the commonalities among neurodiverse kids and people, um, as opposed to these separate groups? Well, you know, coming from my perspective as a parent who was going through this journey and found it very, very isolating and, you know, really just struggling with so many aspects, especially when my son was younger and the, you know, like everyday life was so hard, you know, between school and the behavior and was just so challenging. And so I felt, and my husband and I together were like, we were the only ones in this. And, and I, and as I started doing this work and realizing, wait a minute, there are parents everywhere who are really suffering because they're afraid of stigma and they don't want to talk about what's hard. They don't want to um, have a learning disability attached to their child, because what would that mean? Or how will they be treated? And you know, there is just so much kind of negativity surrounding anyone who is moving through the world in a different way or their path or trajectory might be unexpected or just not kind of the school, college, job, you know, Mm -hmm. path that we're all on. And so I really, you know, as you said, labels are really important. Um, I'm I'm not averse to them at all. They can be helpful for getting support and, uh, you know, getting services in school and just contextualizing what's happening with the kid. But I think there is just this inherent negativity that's associated with so many things. And we do tend to, as a society, look at difference as a deficit. Mm -hmm. Difference is a problem. And there's this real desire to try to get get our kids, quote unquote, fixed or deal with their challenges so that they can, you know, get lumped back into the, the, the normal crowd. Mm. And I think that does a disservice to so many of our kids and families. 
So what are some of the commonalities you see with parents um, and families raising differently wired kids? So what does group them together, even if their diagnoses are quite different? Well, behavior is one thing. So a lot of us are just dealing, especially when a child is younger, their differences will often show up in behavior that might be more intense or might be perceived as inappropriate. Um, Just, you know, we, we instantly kind of feel like we're not doing a good job or others are seeing us as not doing a good job because our kids are maybe a little behaving in a more unexpected way. Mm -hmm. And um, so that there's a lot of judgment and um, we beat ourselves up a lot. We think we should be doing better, especially because we don't know what's going on. Um, The commonality that I think we all experience in some way or another is the challenge with our kids' education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could do an entire (laughs) series of episodes on the challenges of the current traditional educational model, but most schools are designed for one type of learner. And that's a very kind of compliant learner who follows rules and has great executive functioning skills and, and, and is motivated. Right. Mm -hmm. And for a child who's struggling to read or a child who is maybe working way ahead of their peers. And so gets bored, you know, in, in a class and having to do worksheets or, you know, there's some aspect of their education where their child is not thriving. And again, when they're little, that often shows up as bad behavior, quote unquote behavior, mm-hmm. bad grades, um, and just struggle to find a school fit. So that's the thing I hear from parents across the board yeah. is not knowing where their child fits in or having a child who's really suffering in a school system. Well, the other thing that pops into my mind as you're talking um, is that diagnoses themselves often happen, you know, age five, six, seven, eight, nine, or even later. And so there's an entire, almost a decade of parenting where parents may have a feeling that they are, they are raising a kid who is more intense or feels things intensely or presents differently to the world. And what's cool about the concept of differently wired and the way you have kind of created a community that merges a lot of these um, differences is that it can be inclusive even in the years where parents are figuring stuff out. And so whether you have a diagnosis or not, um, there's community there. And didn't you say in your book, it's something like one in five, or if we group, if we group differences together um, it's a much it's a much larger minority than if we look at, uh, you know, each thing separately. That's exactly right. And yeah, one in five is kind of the common statistic that a lot of us throw around. OK, but it's much higher than that. You know, it, there's so much misunderstanding about what the spectrum looks like for girls uh, for girls are rarely diagnosed with ADHD because it shows up differently. And that's a label that's, I think, twice as common in boys. And, Mm -hmm. but we know that a lot of girls have ADHD. Um, And there's so many kids who aren't identified as gifted who are. And so, yes, it's a huge portion of our population. And, you know, I do think that those buckets, those little diagnostic buckets, they do keep us separate, right? They, Mm -hmm. they kind of, it's kind of like, okay, everyone with this issue, go to that corner. <laughs> everyone with this, go to that corner. And so in our little groups, you know, we might have that solidarity, but we're still isolated. Mm-hmm. And really, we all need the same thing, no matter what the difference is. We all need our kids to feel seen. We need them to feel good about who they are and have the tools they need to learn the way that they learn. You know, so and because there are so many of us, I, I love this idea of bringing us together mm-hmm. and saying, hey, <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of us and yeah. things are going to change. They need to change for our kids. Yeah. And the, and you're right. So many of the, the core needs are the same. Um, yes. Well, let's talk about some of the challenges. You mentioned behavior and school, but let's maybe go a little bit, a little bit more into this. Um, so what are some of the common challenges that you see in your community from parents of differently wired kids and maybe even looking back to when Asher was younger and the challenges that you faced that kind of inspired you to do all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, for Asher, when he was little, 
just say we got kicked out of a lot of programs. So um, a lot of just like take summer vacation. I am a super organized person. So summer break, I had a spreadsheet by March of every week long camp that my child was going to be in because he needed to be doing things. I planned these wonderful summers, you know, art camp and aquarium camp and these really wonderful experiences. And then I'm also trying to work mm-hmm. a full-time you know, job, self-employed at home. And, you know, I'd say in those first couple of years, about half of those camps just crashed and burned, um, you know, because I would get calls. This isn't working. This incident happened. And sorry, but he can't come back. Um, this is a very common experience for many of us. So it's it, it, something that is an aspect of everyday life for a lot of families. You don't think twice. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of finding the right camp, but it involves extra consideration. And then as parents, having our days be disrupted, especially parents who are working in an office to have to get a phone call for pickup and mm-hmm. some of your childcare is gone mm-hmm. for the week mm-hmm. that you had planned on. So those kinds of things, especially when our kids are four, five, six, and they just simply do not have the skills they need to deal with tough situations. Um, that's when our parents, the parents I hear from are really in a crisis mm-hmm. mode mm-hmm. because they're a lot of parents, um, you know, was what happened with my child. Uh, we went through three schools in three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kindergarten, first and second, he ended each year in a different school. That was not the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had a plan that was K through eight. I was like, good to go. Yeah. <laughs> and and that is another thing that is common, whether it's behavior or it's just that a, a child is mismatched with the school program and they're starting to suffer. And so halfway through the year, suddenly feeling like I've got a homeschool or what am I going to do here? And then not having the resources financially or otherwise to make that pivot that feels so critical is very stressful for families. And that was, you know, those are part of my personal dark ages. Those years were, were really difficult because like many parents in this situation, I was also still trying to find the fit. So I think a lot of us are desperate to get back on the path that we thought we'd be on. We're Mm -hmm. desperate to make our families' lives look the way we envisioned. Mm -hmm. And so that conflict between what's actually happening and the vision we had creates Mm -hmm. a lot of pain for families. It certainly did for me for many years. Like I really, at one point I had Asher in four therapies a week, you know, Mm -hmm. OT and social skills and talk therapy and executive functioning therapy because I, and I wanted results, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) I wanted this kid back in school mm-hmm. so I could get back to my mm-hmm. life. And right. that's not ultimately what he needed. And right. it just took me a while to get there. Well, in your book, you talk a lot about kind of acceptance and and the process of getting to the place where you're celebrating the child you have and not the one you thought you'd get. Um, and that's actually a theme we've talked about on this show before. I'd love for you to say a little bit more about what you observe just as a mom, I mean, we're of course including dads and all parents and caregivers here, but this is the mom hour. And we talk a lot about kind of the internal experience of motherhood. Um, what kind of toll do you see those, the, you called it a personal dark ages, which is really, <laughs> uh, it's really perfect. Um, what kind of toll do you see that taking on moms and their mental health and their relationships um, in those really intense young years, especially? It's so challenging. And I have so much compassion for parents who are in this space. And I I hear from moms a lot um, in my work today. And I just want to hug them through the computer, through my podcast, Mm -hmm. because, you know, first there's a phase of just feeling like a complete failure because we we can't help but compare our lives with others' lives, you know, or how our, our friends' kids are, are doing versus ours. I used to say to my husband all the time, I would be such a good mom if I had a neurotypical kid. So, which is ridiculous, but that I really felt that I was like, wait a minute, I was going to be such a good mom and now I'm completely failing. I'm a wreck. I can't handle this. This is too hard. I'm not going to make it. Like that was my thinking 
for a long time. It, um, and it took me a while to even recognize that I needed to focus on myself instead of just trying to get support for Asher. And, and that's something that, that I did now remember the, the first, um, I may have talked about this in the book, but the first session I did with the parent coach when I was really like just in a bad space and just, I don't even know how I was functioning. I was just hoping for a moment's peace every day. But I remember talking to this coach and saying, I just feel like I should be so Zen. I should be able to do this. I'm a certified life coach. I've read all the books. Mm -hmm. I've got all these tools. And I, I said, I just wish I could be like Elizabeth Gilbert. She's so chill. And and my my coach was like, but does she even have children? And I was like, mm, okay, okay, point taken. But I think we hold ourselves up to this ideal of what we should be like as a parent. Mm. And when we don't meet that and we just feel like a failure all the time, that it's really crushing. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the way I was, and certainly the parents I hear from so much today, they really do feel like they're in constant crisis mode. They don't have time to even think about taking care of themselves, which gosh, it's just not optional, but we just feel like, but how can I, I I don't have a moment's peace. And by the time I get this kid to bed, who, by the way, differently wired kids often struggle with going to sleep Mm -hmm. and so we're just fried. And so our relationships suffer. If we have a partner, oftentimes we're not on the same page, even with the healthiest of relationships, it can be really hard to stay in tune and, and united and in alignment as you're parenting this child because our partner is going through their own mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, it's really hard. And I think one of the things that's the hardest is we just feel this I this sense that it's never going to end you know Mm -hmm. we just believe so deeply that this is my life now Mm -hmm. this is not the life I wanted and it's always going to be hard and that is a really heartbreaking place to be yeah and I think a lot of the the things you just spoke to um moms of typical kids neurotypical kids can still relate to some of those feelings of um, this is not what I had planned, or this is mm-hmm. not what my motherhood experience is not what I thought it was going to be. And I know we're talking about a very different thing when we're raising um, differently wired kids, but that feeling is there's a whole bunch wrapped up in that perfectionism and grief mm-hmm. and guilt and all of that. So thank you totally. for taking us through that. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code MOMHOUR. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? 
Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we're back with Debbie Reber talking about our wonderful Differently Wired kids. And your book called Differently Wired um, and your community is called Tilt Parenting. And so I would love for you to talk about this concept of tilts. What do, what are tilts? What does that mean? And how did you come up with this idea? Well, I get asked all the time if tilt is an acronym and I will just say that it's not, but if any listeners come up with something great, please let me know. Cause then I could always go back and say, retroactive. Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, I came up with this idea of tilts initially from the tilt a whirl amusement park ride, which oh. you may be familiar with. I think I can picture I, it. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know the name, of course, I'm trying to picture the actual It's the structure. one where you're like sitting and it whips you around. Like you're kind of going in circles, but then every now and then you get this like centrifugal force yeah, as yeah, it yeah. whips you. And so my mother, Asher and myself were on a tilt whirl at the Jersey shore as one, you know, does. One and um, this was the summer before we moved to Amsterdam. So 2013. And I think my husband captured a photo of us right as we were about to go around that, that turn. And we were all holding onto the rail and Ash and I just have these giant like grins on our faces and glee and surprise. And, um, just this, it just captured so much the sense of, we have no control over what's going to happen here, uh. but we're going to hold on and have as much fun <laughs> as we can. And so when we moved, I took that picture and I just kind of stuck it up. And I actually started a blog called Tilt a World, just because I wanted to process all these changes we were going through, which for us not only meant moving, but I started homeschooling Asher and really kind of shifted a lot in mm-hmm. how we were raising him. And so when I started developing, you know, what became Tilt Parenting, I was trying to find a word that really captured this sense of embracing the messiness of, you know, of our worlds, but then also being open to shifting our perspective, because I really think that's where all the work happens is we as, as parents and caregivers and teachers really reframing how we see and experience these kids. And so that word tilt just kind of kept jumping up at me. And I was like, you know what, that's the word. And again, I I had a whole list and I ran them all by Asher and tilt was the one he, (laughs) he approved of the most because he thought it had a positive connotation and it captured the spirit. And so that's what I I love it. I love (laughs) the story behind it too, because of course, uh, yeah, that that's such a cool story. Um, what I, what jumped out at me in reading the book, um, and just for listeners, I do hope you'll check out the book, but the way, the way I experienced the book is the first half kind of sets the stage for, um, everything we've talked about so far, why, you know, neurodiversity is so important and why coming together as a community to support differently wired kids is, is both important, but also why it's challenging right now. Um, and then in the second half, you go through these, I think there are 18, does that sound right? Mm-hmm. 18 yeah. tilts or kind of actionable mindset shifts. And I got a ton out of these as a parent of mostly typical neurotypical kids. I mean, I think there's so much, there's so much we could discuss about Anyway, yes, I relate to um, I relate to a lot of um, what I read in the book, but all of the 18 tilts, I think, are things that all parents can relate to. And what I love is they don't require any kind of you're not waiting on anything from the outside world. So I would think that in a world where parents feel a lack of control, you're waiting on you're waiting to get into 
you know, some diagnostic process or you're waiting to on a wait list to get access to the right therapies. Um, there's a lot of lo- loss of control, I would think. And the tilts are all mindset shifts. They're things that you can do right away, right now in your own way. And so I loved that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I will just say the first half, I really considered it a manifesto because of course, you know, I want to support parents. And so, because when parents are healthier, our kids can feel better about who they are and it's just, what's going to make this work. But I also believe that as a society, we need to shift this paradigm because, you know, these differently wired humans have so much potential and they're nonconformist and they're incredible problem solvers and they have so much to contribute to the world. And so I really wrote that first part to try to spark people and and recognizing, yeah, you're right. This Mm -hmm. is a problem. We need, we need to change it. And then um, what you shared about the tilts is I've heard that from so many friends and family and, and readers that it doesn't matter how your child's wired. Like these are things that all parents can benefit from. Right. Right. Definitely. Well, I thought it might be fun to pick a couple um, that jumped out at me. And I think, again, these are some that all parents can benefit from. And maybe you can just um, talk a little bit about what they mean or what you were thinking about when you wrote them. So the first one is parent from possibility instead of fear. And this one jumped out at me. I loved what you said about, I think you were quoting someone else who um, suggested introducing the word maybe when we get into Mm. catastrophic thinking and, and all, all parents do this, parents of all different kinds of kids do this, where we see a behavior or a something, a symptom, a behavior, a pattern. And we think, well, this means that they are going to be X, Y, Z forever or never get to do this or never, you know, like find a romantic partner, whatever we, we catastrophize like all the way down the line. And I loved the suggestion that you just introduced the word, maybe, maybe not like maybe something else will happen. Maybe this is just today, like that we don't know. Um, and so that was parenting from possibility instead of fear. I liked that one. I don't know if you have any, any thoughts to build out that one. Yeah, I think it definitely applies to everyone because, and, and maybe even more so in some ways, like for parents of differently wired kids, we have fear, that initial fear of like, oh my gosh, what is this going to look like? There's no roadmap for mm-hmm. me. But, but I think for parents of neurotypical kids or kids who are moving through the world in a more quote unquote typical way, mm-hmm. this is, could be even more an issue because you're just on this path, right? So there's this expectation. And so when something comes up, whether a lot of uh, parents I know struggle around not getting into the right high school or, you know, not doing well on an SAT or college and, and all of those things, when something happens, when everything has been going along really well, the fear can hit really strong mm. and you're not really prepared for it. Um, the, I'll just say that the word maybe um, that is a woman named Alison Carmen. She wrote a book called The Gift of Maybe. And I love that um, that word too. I, I think it's super powerful. I also love the word curiosity. Mm-hmm. And this is something I, I talk about a lot with. And I also coach Asher, my son, on these because mm-hmm. as a 15-year-old, he's really good at catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it goes with the teenhood. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think being able to kind of take a pause and remember kind of what our long-term goals are. I think we get so caught up in the expectations of right now, you know, oh my gosh, this didn't happen. And then we, we do, we kind of spiral out of control. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. But there's so much time and, and our goal is to raise adult human beings who know who they are, who understand their competencies, who understand their areas of weakness, which we all have Mm -hmm, and have are self-actualized enough to know how to get what they want so that they can thrive. Like Mm -hmm. that's the goal for all of us. And I think we can get so kind of stuck in these little things we would perceive as setbacks. And when we can say, you know what, like maybe this is exactly what needs to happen right now in order for you know, his or her life to Mm -hmm. unfold or for this next step to happen. We just have no idea. We're terrible at predicting the future. Right. So 
And, and yeah. operating out of fear is all about like trying to control something that we have no control over. Yeah. And I just, I liked that shift to possibility and maybe, or, you know, that we don't know. Um, and that, that's, that's a hard place to get to, but I loved that tilt. Um, another one I loved was recognize how your energy affects your child. And I have to say, when I went into this section, I, I was kind of ready uh, to feel like, gosh, I hope this is not going to make moms feel like they have to be like you, like you said, with your parenting coach, that you have to be Zen all the time um, or that it's on you to set the energy that will positively or negatively affect your child. Um, but I think I think there's more to it than that. And I think you give a lot of grace and permission for moms not to be perfect in this area. So talk about that a little bit, how our energy affects our child, but also we don't need to be perfect, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of what happened yesterday in my house. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the story I share in the book is still is so powerful with me is that I, in the midst of like, I think it was a three month long regression of just really intense, explosive behavior in my home. I escaped for a weekend to, to a coaching training retreat or something. And I came home the most Zen human ever. I felt like I, like there were like rainbows and moonbeams <laughs> like shooting from my body and I came home and Asher was really happy to see me he was probably like six or something and but shortly after I got home he started to lose it about something and instead of doing what I normally would have done which is not handled it well or gotten annoyed with him for like killing my buzz I got down on his level and I just held him I just held him to me and I just tried to like infuse him with love and peace and it the shift it was like I flicked a switch it mm. was the most incredible transition I've seen and I was just like oh my gosh this is my new superpower mm -hmm. all I have to do is do this all the time right. and I can control how my child is feeling so of course that's not really true but yeah. it, it it did show me that our energy, and of course, we know this from Dan Siegel's work and mirror neurons, like we are really powerful beings if we think about how we can contribute to what's happening with our child. And so I do try to keep that in mind. But at the same time, I, like my child, am living a very human experience mm -hmm. here. Um, I'm now starting to go through menopause, which is a whole, whole other thing I was not prepared for. <laughs> And so I'm getting a lot of opportunity to model my own uh, energy, not mm -hmm. being the way I want it to be, but then repairing when I, you know, when I mess up. Mm -hmm. And so I try to use this also as an opportunity to help our kids understand, you know, we talk about our emotions can be contagious, you know, gosh, mm -hmm. I'm having a, having a really bad day. And, and then I can just see his, he's changing too. Mm -hmm. I, he's picking right up on it. And sometimes I'll just sit him down. And I'll say, okay, we are both having a seriously bad day. What mm -hmm. can we do to make it better? Like, should we just like get a blanket and put on the good place and eat Cheez-Its? Like <laughs> what, what can we do to kind of be nice to ourselves? Cause we're both struggling right now. So I've learned to just actually just talk very openly about it too, like, mm -hmm. and do my best to do my work on myself. So I can show up as best I can on any given day, mm -hmm. but then also show that it, I'm going to have bad days and that's okay. And, you know, so that when my son has a, wakes up super cranky, um, and he catastrophizes it, everything's bad and I'm in a terrible mood. I'm like, Ugh, I know how that is. Mm -hmm. I felt that way yesterday and I don't have to contribute to that. Right. It's almost like understanding the impact that your energy has on your child and on your, your household. I mean, I have three children and a family of five, so everybody's bringing their own energy. So you can understand the impact of that energy without assigning yourself the sole responsibility for being the light all the time. Cause I think that's unfair to moms. Um, but mm -hmm. I think at the same time, um, like, like the story you told recognizing that are the, the energy we bring into a relationship or a conversation or an interaction, it, it has a, has an effect on, especially those differently wired kids. Cause as you say, in the book, they tend to be extra attuned to, 
you know, the, the dynamic in the room. So I think that mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I like thinking about it that way that we have that ability or power, but not necessarily that it's all on us. So exactly. And, it, and if anything, too, it can be circling back to what we talked about self care earlier. It's also can be just a little bit of motivation to, to spend a little time doing something for ourselves mm-hmm. that can help us too, um, with our own energy and just our own experience. Like yeah. it, it, it's all connected. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is. I really did. I still laugh at that person I was who believed that I had ended the regression. It would never come back. So <laughs> that has not been the case, but, but it's, it's also just approaching it all with curiosity, right? Yep. I think this is all just information. We can keep learning and growing together. Yeah, I love that. Well, we got some questions from our listener community that um, I offered to pass on to you and to use to guide the rest of our conversation. So uh, we have some really good ones. And the first one comes from Rebecca, and she asks, how can parents of neurotypical kids support parents of differently wired kids? How can we teach our children to support their classmates, for example, if they have a nonverbal classmate or uh, a differently wired kid in their class? I love that question. Do you have thoughts? It's such a good question. And I so appreciate it because we really do need everybody. (laughs) We need, Mm -hmm. you know, we all need to be involved in this. Um, You know, I think having very open conversations with our kids is really important. And so I think, especially when kids are younger, they are so good at noticing difference, but they don't necessarily assign a value to it. It's just like, oh, that's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as they get older, and in elementary school, they may start assigning good or bad to things, you know, and sometimes that is also a culture created by a classroom mm-hmm. teacher or or otherwise where, you know, suddenly Jonah is, you know, bad because mm-hmm. he doesn't sit still when it's circle time or he's always having to or he's always blurting out. And so when we start hearing these stories from our kids and this still even happens to me, Asher will tell me a story of someone. I'm like, Oh, he's, and I'll say, you know, I have a feeling that that is a kid who really struggles reading social mm-hmm. cues. Do you know that? And then we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes if someone is neurodivergent, they really struggle to understand another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, isn't it? And So I think we want to have these conversations with our kids all the time and just notice that they are coming home and complaining about bad, the bad kid, right? the bad kids who are doing things. That's a great opportunity to, to ask questions, to get curious and help our kids see what else might be true about that situation. Because Mm -hmm. in my experience, you know, these kids can become such great allies mm-hmm. if, and just be like, oh, I, I have a story in the book about this, but this little girl who knew that her friend struggled from anxiety would just be like, ah, that's Amelia. She needs a few minutes to warm up, you know, and that just matter of fact, right. that's who she is. Right. So I think that is one of the most important things that we can do. Start those conversations early. And uh, just one more thing to add. Yeah. Just notice our own, like we all have our own kind of biases, Mm -hmm. subconscious, you know, thoughts about neurodivergence. And so we want to just be aware of those Mm -hmm. um, because our kids will notice them. We might talk about things in a way that even has more of a deficit focus um, skew. And so we just want to be aware of that and, and try to catch ourselves so that we're not perpetuating you know, a sense of negativity or deficit around these, but rather just in talking about these are differences. Everyone's different. Well, and I think sometimes for lack of going deeper or knowing how to go deeper, parents sometimes say things like, you have to include everybody or be nice to everybody. Um, when really kids, uh, they, they are more nuanced than that. At least in my experience with my three kids, like you said, they notice differences, but they also notice, um, they notice emotions, they notice friendship dynamics. So I think we can, by listening to our kids and asking questions, we can almost create a more nuanced dialogue than, you know, 
make sure you're nice to everybody. Sit next to the lonely kid at the cafeteria. Like I think sometimes mm-hmm. we leave it at the surface. A couple of things I say to my kids, because my I have three kids, they're all in the same K through eight school. So I pick them up all together. And so I will often hear about who got in trouble or, you know, things that happened. Um, and one thing I always say is no kid wakes up in the morning and says, I want to go and get in trouble at school today. Like no, no kid, no matter the behavior wants to have to go sit in the back of the class or miss out on recess. And my kids have kind of internalized that. And I, and I just say things like, I wonder, I wonder if there's something else going on, or I hope she is getting, I hope she's feeling supported in whatever's going on. And so I think just by, I hope that by just kind of planting those seeds that I, because it's, I, I think kids in traditional school do sometimes get the message that there are bad kids and good kids, kids who get in trouble and kids who don't get in trouble. So I have tried to just introduce the idea that there is more going on and that that child is not, I think you, in your book, you say they, they would do better if they could. And my version mm-hmm. of that is no kid goes to school wanting to be disruptive. They want to, they want to be included and loved. So the behavior is not, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's all communication. You know, I, I there's a woman named Dr. Mona De La Hook who wrote a book called Beyond Behaviors. And this is what she talks about that really like 95% of what we would consider to be bad behavior is not purposeful. It is simply the result of a child not knowing what else to do or just not having the skills. And unfortunately school highlights that in many circumstances. And, and yeah, so I think having those conversations and I love that you talked about you know, having more nuanced conversations. I mean, I get into the brain science, but that's kind of what I <laughs> geek out on. But I think our kids are really curious yeah. and and interested. And when they understand, they'll they they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. This is this person needs to fidget in order to think. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. That's not. I need to do this to think. Yeah. And um, so the more we can normalize difference, the more all of these kids are going to benefit. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, Kate asked a question and she said, how can we trust schools and assume they are doing the be- doing best by the child? And she told a story about um, her son basically receiving a different diagnosis of dyslexia once they moved out of state after having a hunch about it at the previous schools. But the, the main question is, can we and how can we trust our schools to do right by the child, um, especially if school is the main resource for uncovering these types of differences? Yeah, and I think this varies so much from school district to school district. There are certainly some school districts that, you know, they're, they really don't want kids to get the diagnosis of dyslexia, for example, because that requires them to provide services and accommodations that cost them money. Okay. Um, so there can be a, a lot of uh, delay in even assessing for things like that, which can actually be identified at a pretty early age. So. I always recommend that parents, you know, we want to believe, like I believe teachers have the best of intentions and I, that most teachers are there for all the right reasons and really want all their kids to, to thrive. And we as parents also have instincts. Like we usually know, even though we might put all our stock in the teachers, you know, um, education and, yeah. and, and their expertise as parents, we know intuitively if our kids aren't thriving in some way. And so it's important to start to, you know, advocate in, in a way that's not hostile or um, antagonistic, but rather just push for more information. Um, try, you know, see what can be done, like be curious, ask for meetings to talk about some of the concerns. If you're getting outside uh, evaluations, share that information. Like I'm really about creating partnerships with our educators and as much as possible, having that be a positive, uh, aligned relationship with the child's best interests at the heart of it. But it was really important to trust, to trust your own instincts. So mm-hmm. if you feel as though there are issues that aren't being addressed, there's often much more that can be done. Even if you get kind of a brush off, mm-hmm. um, initially from a school, just keep respect, respectfully, mm-hmm. um, pushing for more and, 
um, and don't, and don't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, a question from Chelsea came in and she has an 11 year old son with ADHD and ASD that's autism spectrum disorder, correct? Um, and so she asks, how can we make sure our kids, especially our older kids are getting the support they need and everything's going okay at school without being the dreaded helicopter parent. And she talks about how for her, it's really essential to get daily feedback or regular feedback from school. Um, but that she's been perceived at the school of being a bother. So I'm sure this comes up, especially with kids of tween or parents of tweens and teens. Um, and I would be very curious for your thoughts. Ah, yes, this is a complicated one. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's two parts to my answer. One is that part of us, we need to stop caring about what other people think. Mm-hmm. So if others are going to perceive us as a helicopter parent, when we know that what we're actually doing is providing the scaffolding that our child needs, it doesn't matter what they think. So um, we have to be willing to, you know, to deal with the looks or the misunderstandings of other people when our child's best interest is, is at stake. So, and that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. I just recognize that. I really mm-hmm. struggle with that too because I want everyone to like me and I want to have really positive relationships. And, and I do work hard to cultivate those. But, you know, especially for kids who are differently wired, they are going to need more scaffolding. Their timeline is different. They're developing asynchronistically. They may have these incredible strengths, but they may have other areas where they're lagging quite a bit from what's considered, you know, typical pathway. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, we want to find a way to build scaffolding and, and not kind of give too much uh, weight to what others think um, in that process. But I will also say, I think it's tricky with middle school and high school kids, because we get the message a lot that, you know, if you read Jessica Leahy's book, The Gift of Failure, and which I love, love yes, her book. I love and, it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. And I really believe in that as a philosophy. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm a ninth grader and I'm working on it right now. And, but it looks different. Yeah. Right. It looks different for him because he really truly needs a lot more support. And so for a lot of us, it's, it's, it's a daily balance almost of, trying to push our kids, you know, a little bit and seeing where they are, giving them the opportunity to, you know, I think Asher may have missed a math assignment that was due today, which he remembered last night at midnight um, (laughs) and then couldn't find. And I was like, well, I'm going to bed. So (laughs) it's, you'll have to deal with it. And, and that was it. And I'm fully prepared for him to have missed that and being really bad mood when I pick him up. But but that's okay. He's in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. the end of the world. So I think we need to kind of not put so much, you know, find that middle ground yeah. of, of giving them some scaffolding and also recognizing that even though they're differently wired, they also need to learn how to deal with failure yeah. and um, setbacks. And we need to know that that's part of what they need the skills they need to develop to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I also, I mean, just as a parent of a sixth grader, I know that when you transition from elementary to middle school, the, the logistics of communicating and getting feedback from school are very different from the way Mm -hmm. they were in elementary school. So I would imagine that that's just heightened when you have a, a kid who's differently wired. And so hopefully for Chelsea, that it's finding, finding what the schools, I guess what I'm trying to say is no matter what, there's a little bit of a learning curve as you move through school of what, what's expected, like how, how involved am I expected to be? How much communication can I expect from school? And then within that, you know, parents need to find like, well, how can I also advocate for my kid within this system? And when do I need to push for more? Yeah. And I think it's fair enough to, to sit down with the school and say, listen, you know, let's come up with something together, whether it's like a Friday afternoon check-in or, you know, a once a week kind of touch base or say, you know what, I actually know that um, organization is a real struggle for my child and he's probably going to miss assignments. And so 
Um, I'm working on it at home. Um, how can we work together and how can we stay in the loop so that he can actually gain skills in this area? Right. Yeah, I so love that. that problem solving yeah. perspective. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay. And then the the last question came actually from several different people, but it, it was about um, how to manage extended family who may not see your child the way you do or understand all of this. Uh, one listener, one of our community members, especially referenced um, family members who culturally, uh, you know, are had a different different framework for understanding all of this. And I know that's like a giant question because every family situation is unique, but I'm sure it's something that you and your community have dealt with. Yeah. And I tend to hear a lot about this around the holidays Mm -hmm. when people are forced to spend time with family who may not get it or there are all these expectations. So, I mean, this kind of ties back to the last question in that we need to get really comfortable prioritizing who our child is and what they need in, in any situation. And so I think, I know it can be really tricky, especially with our own parents, because we really want them to think we're doing a great job, Mm -hmm. right? Like we want them to think, well, Mm -hmm. my child's rocking this. Um, and, and generationally, they really may not have any understanding of what's going on with our child. And a lot of our kids in this population have invisible differences. So they may just look like really bratty or spoiled children Mm -hmm. when we know that's not at all what's going on, Mm -hmm. especially like with kids with anxiety or something or OCD, where they may be really eccentric or have these, you know, huge fears around things that a grandparent might say, just get over it. What are you doing? Why are you coddling this child? You know? And so we really need to go into those situations asking for what we need. I think it's important that we set boundaries around what's okay and what isn't. I'm a big fan of like preparing almost scripts ahead of time. You know, we can kind of guess what kind of comments we might get or where the triggers or trouble areas might be in certain situations. And so preparing in advance for how we're going to respond so that we can not react, but we can rather be thoughtful and intentional about what we're trying to do and, and how we're trying to advocate for our child. So I think there's a lot of prep work. I think there's boundaries. And I think there is a component of saying, just like realizing, gosh, um, you, you don't really get it right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is what it is. And so then it's going to be on my terms, how we spend time together, because I'm not going to I hear from parents who who've just simply said, I, I can't um, participate in this event, uh, a wedding or, you know, some big mm-hmm. event. If if you're going to be shaming my child the whole time, it's going to be an unhealthy environment for all of us. And we'll celebrate with you another time. Have you seen success stories, examples of uh, parents who've done the work to maybe maybe just educate, you know, um, offer a book or an article and try to bring the grandparents or the extended family into the world a little bit and create some common understanding. I mean, I would I would like to think that sometimes that does work, that it's not always just this big gap. Yeah. I mean, if people are willing uh, and open, I encourage parents, uh, you know, those of us who live near family, invite them to come along to a therapy session mm. or invite them to come to school, like bring them into our lives a little bit more so they can have a better understanding. Certainly, um, I've had a lot of uh, people buy my book and get to give to their parents so their parents have a better understanding of what they're going through. And and I've had parents or grandparents show up at my book events because they're like, I really want to understand what's going on with my grandchild. So (laughs) so that definitely happens. Um, I'm really you know, I use the phrase compassionate education a lot. And that's what I really hope that my community does is recognize that people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so if we can approach people who don't get it through that lens of, okay, they just have no reference for this. And that's part of what I can do is bring them into our world a little bit and hopefully bridge that gap. Yeah. I Um, I think can be very effective. I love that. 
Um, okay. Well, Debbie, this has been so wonderful. Tell everybody a little bit about the Tilt Parenting podcast and um, where to find you. We've talked about the book quite a bit, and that will, of course, be linked up in the show notes. Um, but talk a little bit about the podcast and where else parents can find you online. Sure. So I launched the podcast almost four years ago. I don't have quite as many episodes as you do. No, but, but you've, um, four years is, um, that is a long time in this, in this space. It, is. <laughs> it definitely is. So I release weekly and I have conversations with, uh, you know, thought leaders and uh, parenting experts, tons of authors, any author of a parenting book that you've got on yourself, there's a chance I've had them on my show. And I really um, like to go deep and, and learn more about how their work applies to my community. And, um, and then, you know, kind of organically about a year ago, these tilt together groups have popped up. So people wanted to meet in person. And so now there are, I think there's more than 40 groups happening around the world. And there's also an online community on Facebook, uh, called tilt together where people can just say, Hey, I'm looking for a tutor for my child who has dyscalculia and I live in St. Louis, or mm -hmm. I, you know, I need recommendations on what kind of OT to get or, you know, anything, um, or, Hey, I just moved to Rhode Island. Where are my people? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's been really great to see how people are really showing up for each other. So that's on Facebook at Tilt Together. My website is tiltparenting.com and that's where all the podcasts live. And I have a bunch of other resources on there. Oh, I have a new resource that I just cool. need to mention. I just like last month launched something called Tilt Education, which is lives on the Tilt website. Mm -hmm. And there are some resources for teachers, but I also am building what I believe is the most comprehensive listing of schools globally that work for differently wired kids. I've got almost 200 schools on there right Very now. Cool. Yeah. And they include testimonials from families in the community who have experience. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that is, that's an amazing resource. Well, our listeners know that all of that will be linked up at themomhour.com. So head there or just check the app where you're listening right now and we'll have all of those things listed. And Debbie, thanks so much for spending this time with us today. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much for the conversation. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.